0: All right, good morning, Life Church. Uh, as you saw, my name is Matt, and it is a huge privilege to be here. Um, it's nice to get in back into Wisconsin for the Christmas season and escape the 70 degree weather in Florida. It's kind of nice to see Christmas lights on something other than a palm tree and kind of get to display my Florida tan, which is now gone. Uh, but it is a huge privilege and an opportunity to be here this morning. I did intern here. Life Church has been my home church for about five or six years now, so I just want to say thank you, Pastor Aaron, uh, for having me here today and giving me this opportunity. This may come as a shock to many of you, but uh, growing up through middle school and high school and even through college, I didn't date a whole lot. I know this is very surprising, but I just didn't have a lot of luck when it came to the ladies. And so what I didn't have a lot of luck doing is up in this place where no guy ever wants to be, and it's a place called the friend zone. And for those of you who don't know, the friend zone is essentially this relationship purgatory. And (laughs) once you walk into the friend zone, there's no escape. You don't turn around. You don't come back from that. And so I was thinking about this idea of the friend zone, and I remembered a specific experience that I had, and I thought I'd share it with you today. It was a while back, and... um, I was interested in this girl, and the friend zone, what happens is a guy and a girl start hanging out, they start talking, you get to know each other, you know, kind of see if you're compatible, but you're just friends, and eventually one of you decides that your intention for that relationship is for more than friends, and so you sit down and you decide that you're going to share that with them, you know, I'd like to be more than just friends, but when you're in the friend zone, it's become physically impossible for that person to see you as more than a friend you suck. And so in my situation, when I was uh, attracted to this girl, you know, we'd been hanging out. We talked a lot. I'd gone through the checklist to make sure she was, you know, dateable, love the Lord, check. You know, thinks I'm funny, not annoying, check. Minimal college debt, check. Attractive, check. You know, gone through all of it. She She was good. She was good to go. But we'd been friends for a while, and so I wasn't really sure if she would receive the news of my intentions very well, I didn't want to be too forward, and so I did what any smart student would do, and I called my mom. (laughs) My mom and I started talking about it a little bit. I explained to her the situation, and the advice she gave me was this. She said, Matt, she can't read your mind. You need to convey to her the way that you feel so that when she's making her choice of whether she would want to date you or not, she can take everything into consideration. So being the wise college student that I was, I listened to my mom, and we were hanging out one day, and I was sitting on a bench on El Prado, which is this place at my university where kind of relationships both blossom and die. <laughs> and so I started talking to her. I sat her down, and I kind of gave her this feeling, you know, hey, we've, I, I just want to talk to you about something. And as we all know, that's how every great conversation starts. You know, we need to talk. And so I kind of laid it out there. You know. I said, hey, I'm interested in you. You have a lot of the qualities of somebody that I would want to date. And so I, I think it'd be great if eventually we were more than friends. You know, I just wanted it to be all on the table so you had the opportunity to kind of make an informed decision, so to speak. And as I sat there waiting for her to look me in the eye and tell me how lucky she was <laughs> and how <laughs> excited she was that I felt that way and how long she'd been waiting to hear me say those words. I was met with something very different. Uh, She basically looked at me, smiled, and said, oh, you're so awesome, and and that's really sweet, and we have a great time together, but I think we should be just friends. And so from that moment, I knew that I was stuck. I was now in relational purgatory with this person. I had to throw up the white flag. And today, I'm gonna talk a lot about that idea of, of rejection versus acceptance, kind of as it relates to our relationships with one another, but uh, more importantly, the way that it relates to our relationship with God. And believe it or not, God kind of has some experiences with the friend zone, with his own people, and he talks about it a little bit in the Bible. And so today, I want to reference the book of Hosea, kind of go through that and some examples where the Israelites or God's people wanted to be just friends. In case you're not familiar with the book of Hosea, it's kind of this constant tension of, of God's acceptance versus Israel's rejection and God comes to the prophet Hosea and he tells him that he's going to marry a prostitute and what this is it's this illustration of the unfaithful wife or the way that Israel is or even today what would be the church God's marriage to that church and their their unfaithfulness and it's just this up and down you know when I first read this book when I first started kind of doing a study the thing that really stood out to me was the fact that Hosea was marrying a prostitute. And that was kind of what I tended to shift my attention towards. I kind of thought to myself, this guy is willingly entering into a relationship with someone who has proven themselves to be unfaithful. And I began thinking about that and the way that we relate to the Lord. And I started to see that this story isn't so much a story of of unfaithfulness or a story of um, a ridiculous decision on Hosea's part, but it's a story of restoration. It's a story that really conveys the heart of God and teaches us about his intentions for relationship. And I believe that as we see this story, there's four R's that we can pull out of it, which I'll go through in a minute. And even though uh, that friend zone, even though Israel continually puts God in that friend zone and that boundary is acceptable, I wanna talk about why it's not acceptable to carry that friend zone into our relationship with God. A while back, I was praying um, about this very thing. I just entered into a dating relationship, which is still going on. No friend zone. I broke the curse. (laughs) And I began asking the Lord what his perspective was. Because, see, I started to realize that when you enter into a relationship with somebody else, especially like a dating relationship or, or that kind of like, you know, the way we would be with God, where you're developing in love and intimacy with somebody, that you realize a lot about yourself, you start to see some insecurities or some flaws that you never really had to pay attention to before because it was just you. You didn't have to worry about anyone else or what they thought. And so I continued to pray, you know, Lord, what is your perspective here? How do you view acceptance? What is what is your thought here? And as I began to listen to the Holy Spirit, I felt like the Lord just spoke to me and said, I don't want to be just friends. And I thought, this is great. You know, what a what a revelation. God doesn't want to be just friends. And so then I asked him what he meant by it and what he was trying to kind of convey through the fact that he didn't want to be just friends. And as I began to listen more, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. See, the friend zone, it's, it's this place where there's not a mutual or a shared intention for the relationship. You present yourself to somebody and you tell them, this is where I see things going. This is what I desire for our relationship, but it's, it's not met on the other end of things. And so God spoke to me, I don't want to be just friends. I believe that this is for all of us. He is so sure of his intentions for our relationship. He's so confident in the love that he has for us, the way that he sees us, that with God there is no friend zone. See, we don't have to fear rejection because God doesn't possess that same doubt or insecurity that we as people do, and here's why. The first R today is that God loves us even when his love is not recognized. We see this a lot with Israel in the book of Hosea, that constant tension I spoke of where Israel will turn to the Lord, they'll kind of be seeking him, but then all of a sudden they turn away, they start to seek their own desires, or like Gomer, Hosea's wife, they, kind of, they prostitute themselves out to false idols, things that do not uh, foster relationship with the Lord. And so they choose not to recognize the love that God has for them. I think that we can all think of a time in our life or a relationship that we have where we've tried to convey the way that we feel or care about somebody, whether it be through actions or, or through words, and we try to get them to come to a, a recognition of, of their love, and yet, they just it doesn't even fall on their radar. They just completely <laughs> ignore it, almost. And so you try time and time again to show them, and yet nothing happens. And that brings us to the, the next R, which is that God loves us even if his love is not received. Again, God loves us even when his love is not received. See, this is the perfect illustration of the friend zone. A love is given or it's offered up uh, as God offers his love for us in relationship or the way that you might you know, tell someone how you feel. And that love just isn't received. And so what happens sometimes is we allow our own insecurities or our fears of rejection to play a role in whether or not we are willing to receive that love. The irony in this is that most of the insecurities that we experience, they're derived from expectations that we place on ourselves that nobody else really has for us. When I started uh, kind of dating in this relationship, I had this idea that with love, all of my insecurities would kind of fade away. The more intimate you become in a relationship, the deeper that a love grows or a relationship becomes, the less your insecurities matter or the less that there's that fear of rejection. But what I end up finding is that it's the complete opposite. The more that you love someone, the greater it almost amplifies your insecurity because now there's this greater potential. You've invested so much of yourself in somebody and there's so much more that you have to lose. And so you fear that Uh, That rejection or those insecurities that come up. But the thing that is great about love is that while it won't remove our own insecurities, it does overshadow the insecurities of those that we love. And that's the way that God perceives us. See, we tend to put each other on pedestals when we love somebody. You know, I think of, you know, certain people in my life, maybe certain people that I was interested in where you're attracted to them or, or you love them or whatever. And so you You build them up to be something that they're not. You kind of put them up there on this pedestal. And then all of a sudden, those insecurities and all that stuff start to to seep in. But if you love that person, you tend to overlook it. And that's the way that God is with us. See, while we have these insecurities, these fears of rejection, maybe because we feel like we've screwed up too many times to be forgiven or loved, or maybe it's because we've only known experience of rejection in relationships. And so that's what we've come to expect from God. But that is not how he perceives it. See, he loves us to an extent that it doesn't matter. Now, I don't want you to be confused today. I'm not saying that God accepts uh, sin or he loves sin or unholy living. But what I am saying is that through that opportunity of relationship, through the love that he offers, that our insecurities, the fears of rejection, the thing that we worry about, they're overshadowed, they're overlooked. And that God does, in fact, love us. Even when his love is not received, and that brings us to the next R. God loves us even when we do not respond to his love, or when his love is not responded to. This, to me, is one of the stronger R's, because we've all had an experience in a relationship. Maybe it's with a a spouse, or a mother, or father, husband, or wife, or you know, friend, anything where you try to love on them. And maybe your love has been recognized by them. Maybe it's been received, and yet there's no response on their end. They don't do anything about it. They don't, you know, respond to what you're trying to show them. In Hosea, we see this with Israel. God has shown his love to them. He's conveyed his heart, and yet they are not responding to what he is trying to do for them. He's not responding to the love and the relationship that he is offering And I think we do that sometimes in our own relationship with the Lord where God is telling us how much he loves us, he's trying to show us, he's trying to teach us. And yet we don't respond to him. In fact, in the book of Hosea, God is continually provoked in his anger because of their disobedience and unfaithfulness. Time and time again, as I said, there's that tension of God's acceptance and love and then Israel's rejection of that love. And yet God is over and over and over again offering them a chance at restoration, at redemption. That's what the book of Hosea is about. It's not about a guy marrying a prostitute or how awful Israel is, but it's about God's heart for redemption and restoration and relationship with us, how much he loves his people. And so he offers that opportunity to Israel and also to us if only we will respond to the love and turn from our own desires, our sinful ways, or the worship of false idols, anything in our life that might be pulling us away from God. In Hosea 2.14, in fact, it says this. This is the Lord speaking to Hosea about Israel, and he says, But then I will win her back to me once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from the captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. To me, this, these verses portray the love of God in such an accurate way. But then I will win her back, says the Lord. To win something back, it implies that there's this effort that is taking place, that you are going out of your way to get the thing that you desire, just as God is saying that he will win us back. Despite Israel's unfaithfulness, despite the fact that we may sometimes turn from the Lord, he is in an active pursuit of relationship with us. He is actively trying to win us back. It continues to say, I will restore her vineyards to her. There's that restoration, that love that God is conveying. It talks about bringing her into the desert place. I think that there's a misconception oftentimes in our relationship with God that the desert is a dry spell, that it's this time where we're far from the Lord. Sometimes we feel as if we're brought to the desert because of sin in our life or because of the Lord just not being as close as he was. But the, des- the desert in the Bible, it, the God has a design for that desert. The desert is a place where God brings us to draw us into intimacy to develop that relationship. Even though a desert is often portrayed as this vast and empty thing, void of life and and void of nutrients, water, or anything like that, what I believe God would desire for us to see is that the desert is a place free of distraction. There's not a ton of stuff going on, but instead it's a place where he can just be free to minister, to love on us one-on-one, to share his heart. This, to me, is a love that is unchanged by a lack of response. I will turn the valley of acor, or the valley of trouble, into a gateway of hope. I will take your insecurities, I will take your shortcomings, the things in your life that make you feel less than valued, and I will transform them into something, a, a place of hope, a place of restoration, a place where we can have intimate relationship with one another. God is trying to draw us into that desert. And as I said, this is an example of a love that is unchanged regardless of a response. And the fourth R today, God loves us even if his love is not reciprocated. Again, God loves us even when his love has not been reciprocated. This to me is a a concept that's kind of hard to swallow but even harder to carry out. See, we we desire so much when we love others, we want that love back. In fact, oftentimes is that not our motivation in loving someone is that we would kind of have that mutual emotion given back to us. It's the most essential of the R's because reciprocation of that love is what produces and sustains relationships. And relationship is the end means. That is the goal that God is trying to achieve here. That's why he continually redeems Israel. That's why he continually offers us another chance, continually accepts us and forgives us and draws us into that desert place, that place of intimacy and restoration because he desires relationship. And so if we don't learn to reciprocate the love that God has for us, we will not enter into that relationship. And so we have to actively and consciously make that choice. And I I really think that this is something that truly shows God's character. See, in God's nature, he's able to love us regardless of these things, whether our love is reciprocated, whether it's recognized, these are's that I've been talking about. And I wanna talk to you today, as I was saying before, that he is capable. When I was praying, when I was asking the Lord, his perspective, he is capable of reciprocating to us any love, any desire, any trust that we were able to put on him, he is fully able to reciprocate back onto us. And unfortunately, that's sometimes the very thing that scares us, the fact that God's love, the fact that a relationship with him only grows, that there's only room for improvement, that there's only room for that deeper intimacy, sometimes it puts us in a place where we feel uncomfortable, and so we put God in the friend zone of our lives. And as I said before, God's desire, you know, it's it's okay to have boundaries in our relationships with one another, it's important. But with God, it is important that we do not place Him in that friend zone where we decide that we're content with the way things are and we, we don't desire to go any deeper in that love. And the reality is that while this sometimes makes us feel uncomfortable, this is the very thing in which we should find security. The promise and the extent And the amount of love that God is able to give to us and reciprocate when we choose to love him is something that we should feel safe in and find security and promise. See, with God, it has never been about being just friends. You will never go to God and ask him for a deeper level of intimacy in your relationship. You will never go to God and tell him that you want to be closer to be met with God, looking at you and saying, oh, you're really sweet. We have a great time together and everything really good-looking, but I just think we should be friends. See, there is no fear of rejection in a relationship with the Lord because he loves us to such an extent that the things that we are afraid of him seeing that would turn him away, he has already forgiven. He's already given us the opportunity to enter into that relationship. He is trying to win us back. It has never been about being just friends. It has always been about a deepening relationship with him. And it's so important today. The reason I go over all these things is that we need to understand the heart of God when it comes to love and acceptance. We need to have this correct perspective because if we have this misconception or this wrong idea about the way that God loves, that's exactly the way that we are going to love others. See, we've kind of been taught in society today to love out of our own insecurities or fears and to see others through that lens rather than viewing each other through the redemptive lens lens that God is portraying through his word. And so your perception of Christ, the way that you see him, is going to directly determine the likeness to which you are being conformed. Again, the way that we perceive Christ, the way that we see him, the way that he loves, his character, will directly determine the likeness to which we are being conformed. See, as Christians, we are called to conform to the likeness of Christ. And so if we perceive Jesus to be this judgmental ruler sitting in heaven waiting to strike us down with a lightning bolt the next time we screw up or hold up our past faults over our head, that's exactly how we're going to convey love to one another because that's the likeness that we're being conformed to. What we behold, we become. But if we see the love of Christ, if we see God in the light, that he paints himself through his word in the scripture, then that is the likeness that we will be conformed to. That is the way we'll see God, and that is the way that we will begin to develop ourselves as Christians. See, the reason that God is able to love to such a great capacity and with such little restraint is that God loves out of his character. God loves out of the essence of who he is. In Exodus 34, when God is first talking to Moses about who he is, Moses is asking to show him his glory, and what God does is he describes his character He talks about being abounding in loving kindness, and he shares that. And so rather than loving out of a sense of, say, moral or Christian obligation, God is loving out of the very essence of who he is. And as people, it's true, we can't love to the same capacity that God does because we have that human nature, that sinful or fallen nature. But what we can do is, as we're conformed to the likeness of Christ, as we pursue Him and develop the intimacy and a relationship with Him, we can learn to love out of our character. See, unfortunately, there's this stigma that we have to love each other, but we don't have to like each other. I'm not sure where that is in the Bible. I don't think it's in there. But when we learn to love as God does and accept as God has accepted us, then we begin to be conformed to that very likeness, that image I was talking about with Christ being a loving and merciful and hopeful Father who is caring, who is willing to accept you regardless of where you've been, what you've done. And this is for all of us. Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or five years, there is a constant grace that God is offering to you through his abounding love. And so my challenge to you today is this, that we would no longer place God in the friend zone of our lives, but instead learn to recognize, to respond, to receive, and to reciprocate the love that he has for us And that we would begin to show others that love as well. If you all would bow your heads, I just want to pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for such an awesome and unchanging love. I pray that you would teach us of that love and that you would give us an experiential knowledge of you today. That you would help us to go out into the marketplace and in the church be welcoming and accepting as you have taught us. That we would love as you first loved us. I pray this all in your holy name. Amen.